Heavenly Father, we just come before you this night, and we ask now that you take each part of the service, use it to your honor and glory, help us as we study the Word, give us understanding of the things that are written in your Word, help us to keep it simple, but most of all, Lord, to keep it biblical, and Lord, learn how these things should apply and help us to live each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Is our doctrine and uh, I will tell you that theology is important. It, what you understand about God, what you believe about God, determines the difference between heaven and hell. And therefore, uh, we, we do need to understand what we believe, understand why we believe what we believe. And this is our tenth lesson we First studied, started out with the doctrine of Christ. And, of course, we know that Jesus is uh, the Son of God. He is God the Son. He is the sacrifice. And not only is He the sacrifice, He is the high priest that offered that sacrifice. We then spent several lessons, a couple of lessons on God the Father. And uh, this will be our fourth lesson on the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not uh, the force from Star Wars fans uh, that is uh, just simply blasphemous. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God, just as God the Father is God and God the Son is God. And don't put it in your minds to cut up God and say, I have a part of God. You can't have a part of God. You either have God or you don't. If you have God... You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the last several weeks we've been going over how that the Holy Spirit of God is that person of the Godhead that has the most contact with us. And in the Old Testament, he had a coming upon ministry, as we would see in the life of Samson. And yet when Samson disobeyed God, what happened? The Holy Spirit left. Did Samson know the Holy Spirit left? It said, he wist not the Lord was departed from him. And so we have to understand something that what you see on TBN and all of this kind of stuff is not necessarily, well, is not necessarily, is necessarily not biblical because it doesn't match up what with what is in the Scriptures. And... We've uh, talked about the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and that is also known as the gift of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit, the gift of God, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is the promise that I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world, that the Holy Spirit is not going to leave us that God will always be in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Can you quench the work of the Holy Spirit? You most certainly can. But Holy Spirit is never going to abandon you. Like happened to Saul. Like happened to Samson. We'll never have to pray as David did in Psalm 51. Take not thy spirit away from me. Uh, because God has promised that He's going to be there. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as we went over 
Uh, last Thursday night, I don't know about you, but it seems like about six weeks have happened since last Thursday night. Uh, the wedding on Saturday and all of those things, it just uh, quite doesn't uh, match right. But uh, uh, the calendar said we were together last Thursday night and, and taught a lesson. And so the um, baptism of the Holy Spirit is the indwelling. It is the work that the Holy Spirit does in your life at the time of salvation. You say, how do I know that he does that work? Because in Acts chapter 2, there was a manifestation of speaking in tongues. In Acts chapter 10, there was a manifestation. We're going to get to that as we talk about the gifts of the Spirit tonight. Uh, But the, the simple proof is, God proved that the Jews are saved and the Holy Spirit indwelt the Jews He proved the Gentiles were saved and that the Holy Spirit indwelt the Gentiles. What further proof do we need? What we need to do is just believe the Word of God. And now I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. And again, we're not going to spend uh, a great deal of time here because uh, several months ago we went through uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, want you to understand something. Uh, the the reason it's worded here in the way uh, that it is, it is the fruit of the spirit. That means the fruit has its source. The fruit comes from. The fruit belongs to the Holy Spirit of God. As the Holy Spirit of God lives in us, according to the promise of the Word of God there ought to be some evidences of the Holy Spirit of God active in our life. If there is not, then there is a problem. And so we, we look here, and let's just start reading here in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, Temperance against such, there is no law. And so, as the Spirit lives in us, there are some things that ought to be produced. Love, joy, and peace. And just for the sake of study, uh, we've divided these. These are things that God does in our heart. Do you know something? If you do not understand correctly the love of God, you can't witness to anybody else. You will never have assurance of your salvation. You will never have joy and peace in your heart that God wants you to have. One of the greatest problems that we face as Christians today is we refuse to let the Holy Spirit produce that love, joy, and peace that will be there if the Holy Spirit works in our lives. You know, I I don't know how many songs have been written, how many people have lamented the fact, how many people have uh, uh, gone the ultimate measure and committed suicide and 
and done all these horrible things to themselves and other people, and it's all connected. Nobody loves me. Oh, wait a minute. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. Amen? Amen? How do I live in that love and realize that love and get comfort from that love? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. That is His fruit. Joy. How many of you had something happen to you this week that you could be upset about? Just want to raise your hand. Give testimony of that fact. I mean, if you're living, something bad probably happened this week. And uh, the, the simple truth is, joy is not connected to circumstance. Biblical joy is connected to the Holy Spirit living in me. It means that my trust and my faith in God does not have to have a downturn every time the Tao has a downturn. Aren't you glad about that? Uh, every time the dollar is worth less, think about that for a moment, uh, you, uh, some people get sad. Unless you're Warren Buffett and invest against the dollar, then you get happy. Uh, and the, the, the truth of the matter is, wait a minute, is my joy connected to what happens to me? then it's not a fruit of the Spirit and something needs to be fixed. Because my joy ought to be connected to the Holy Spirit. This is what God wants in my life. He wants love, joy, and peace. This is from God to me to live with these things active in my life is going to give me exactly what I need to experience Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do from my life to others. How many are you glad that God is very patient with you? Would you just lift a hand? Now, how many of you enjoy being patient to others? I'll tell you what, it's hard. Now, isn't it? You know why? Because you don't have it within you. The Holy Spirit of God has got to produce it. Gentleness. Uh, I, w I wish we had time, but, you know, the word gentle means kind and benevolent. And, and I, I love the illustration, though it's not exactly... Uh, 100%, it does allow us to see a little bit, if we, if we would, the ideal of the English gentleman and gentleness. You see, the gentleman was the Lord. He was the owner, not only of his house and his land, but of a whole area. And it used to be the gentleman's responsibility to provide for the economic benefit of his community, of his manner that he controlled, which uh, was the forerunner of many of the towns and villages of what are modern England. 
you know, if we would get into the, put ourselves in a place where God could use us to make it easier for other people to serve God. That's gentleness. By the way, you can't do that by yourself. If you sat down and tried to, you're going to make a big mess because this is a fruit of the Spirit. It's something the Holy Spirit will produce in you and goodness. I'll tell you what, we could just... I mean, could we not just use a good shot of goodness in society today? I mean, there's so much selfishness out there. There's so much me first involved in everything. There's so much desire to be uh, personally gratified and have other people do things for me. You know what goodness is? What they say about Jesus? He went about what? Doing good. Wouldn't that be a wonderful testimony? You just do good. The Holy Spirit of God has to do that in you. And yet, that's not the end of it. There are three more. Faith, meekness, and temperance. Now, when I allow God's love, joy, and peace to be manifest by the Holy Spirit and am able, through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, to express long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness to others, guess what? I'm going to have faith toward God because what did Jesus say the two great commandments were? Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and thy neighbor as thyself. Those are the two commandments, are they not? Do you remember what the disciples said when Jesus began to talk to them about offenses and how the day would come and it was better that a, uh, a millstone were hanged about your neck and drowned in the sea and the disciples said this, he said, Lord, increase our faith that we don't offend other believers. You think it's amazing that we get to that third set of three in the fruit of the Spirit, and the first one's faith. It's, the Bible says that we are to have confidence toward God in the day of judgment. You know, most of us, when we think about standing before God, what do we think about? Every wrong thing that we've ever done. And we stand there in fear and trembling and wondering what in the world God is going to do with us. No, faith gives us confidence so that he can use us in his service. Meekness, again, very short definition. We won't go through all the purpose. It's operating under the authority of another. I am meek. When I do what God says. Moses was being weak when he stuck his finger in Pharaoh's face and said, let my people go. Why? Because those weren't Moses' words. Those were God's words. It was God's direction. And you'll see Moses as an example of meekness. And we need to operate. Uh, Meekness is forgetting about me. 
and operating on God's behalf. And temperance. Temperance is not just the absence of alcohol. I was walking up uh, Broadway here in Astoria and I saw a little sign in front of one of the many new nightclubs, bars, whatever they call them today. And it says, uh, reality is uh, a, um, uh, a state of mind that is uh, caused by the lack of alcohol. And basically what it was saying was, you need to come in and get soused so you can understand what reality is. Now, how many of you believe that? You see, temperance is not just the absence of alcohol in your system. It is the ability to bend without breaking. That's, that's what they do to a fine blade, is it is tempered steel. Why? It is fitly put together, and the molecules are arranged in such a way that when stress is put on that blade, that it doesn't shatter into a thousand pieces. That it does the job that it's intended. And God wants our lives to be tempered. He wants them to be put together in such a way that as the stresses of this life happen, guess what? We survive. We go on. And the these are produced by the unhindered presence and working of the Holy Spirit in our life. If anybody here is sitting here saying, wow, yeah, I got that under control. I, the fruits of the Spirit are in my life every day, every way. Uh, see me after church. You, you got a lot bigger problems than you could ever imagine. Uh, this is something we have to work on till the day we die. But who's going to work on it? See, if it's the fruit of the Spirit, which is what it says it is, then that's something that the Holy Spirit's got to work on. So it's not you getting more of the Holy Spirit or you helping the Holy Spirit out. It's you getting you out of the way so that the Holy Spirit can do what the Holy Spirit's supposed to do. This fruit belongs to the Holy Spirit. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit can work in our lives, those things are going to be there. If He can't, it is we who hinders His work. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to be working in our life every moment of every day. And so... This is what God wants to do. And He's going to use the Holy Spirit to do it. In fact, He's going to use the Holy Spirit so exclusively that it doesn't belong to you. It still belongs to the Holy Spirit. And so, we move on to our next, the gifts of the Spirit. And this is probably, uh, in our modern day and time, one of the most misunderstood teachings in the Bible and one of the reasons why we're going to spend some time here. Turn with me to John chapter 4 and verse 10. Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. 
And uh, she's just at the after the initial question where Jesus asked for her for a drink, she says, "Why are you a Jew uh, even talking to me?" And, and Jesus, in verse ten, answered and said unto her, "If thou knewest the gift of God, do you notice where he starts? If thou knewest the gift of God." And who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. Jesus said, Listen, if you just if you understood what the gift of God is, and who you're speaking to that I can give you that gift, you would be asking me for that gift, and that gift is living water. Water, And you go on through the book of, uh, of John, and Jesus says that out of his belly shall flow living waters. This he spake of the Spirit. Um, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 says, Repent and be baptized that you may receive the gift. Uh, let, me, let me just make sure I'm reading this exactly correct. Acts chapter 2 verse 38 there. It says, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This, again, is talking simply about salvation. The gift of Christ, the gift of God, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is salvation. Now, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And understand that God is interested in fulfilling His Word, His way. And as He is going through here, let's just start reading here in uh, verse 7. It says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, once you look at those next few words very carefully, and he gave What's that next word in there? He gave some. It didn't say he gave gifts. It says he gave some. Now, the gifts that are being spoken of here are given to men to profit. And the overall theme of Ephesians chapter 4 is how Jesus is going to build and maintain his body His local assembly, which in context of the book of Ephesians, is the church at Ephesus. This is how things are going to go on. It says that Jesus descended from heaven. He lived here on earth. He ascended uh, to heaven. He has uh, power over both death and hell. He is the one that filleth all In all, and he gave some. And here's the sum he gave. He gave apostles. He gave prophets. 
He gave evangelists, and he gave pastors and teachers. Now, an apostle, biblical definition, look in the book of Acts chapter 1. It is someone who was personally trained by the Lord Jesus Christ and personally called by the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul fits that definition. Though, as he gives his own testimony, he was one born out of due time. There are no apostles today. If someone came up and said, I hold the position of apostle and I have direct revelation came, coming from God to you today, would you believe him? I'll read Galatians chapter 1. There's only one message of salvation. It's already written down. Read Revelation chapter 22. You go messing around with the words of this book and you're messing with your eternity. You take out the words, you're going to take, your name is going to be taken out of the book of life. You add to those words, it says the plagues of the book of Revelation, and by the way, they are many, are, are going to be added to your life. And Paul put it in Galatians chapter 1. He said, if we preach any other gospel than that which ye have received, let him be what? Accursed. That means you count them as separated from God. Paul said, even if we change our mind, which Paul never did, by the way, because he was speaking under the influence of God. He said, the emphasis cannot be upon man. It must be upon God. So, this idea of an apostle giving us new revelation from God, we have it. The next is prophets. Now, Most of the time when we think of the word prophet, we think of someone foretelling future events. But I want to challenge you, you look at every prophet in the Bible, they also had a job, uh, I love the play on words, of foretelling God's word. What was John's message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. John was preaching God's Word. This idea of prophet and the idea of foretelling, giving future things, again, God's revelation is complete. We don't search to man or man's premonition or man's uh, ideas about things. And one thing about every prophet that has ever prophesied, except God's prophets, is they're always wrong about something. Don't you love the book of Daniel? It is so accurate that modern day unbible believers, how do we say that, Bible non-believers, people who refuse to believe the truth of the Bible said the book of Daniel is a history. It can't be a prophecy because no one could be that accurate. Correct? Shun. Uh, God can be that accurate. In fact, he's the only one. Uh... What was it? Nostradamus was one of the most well-known prophets of the medieval times. And I think he had like a 10 or 12 percent correct rating. Uh, Jean Dixon, if you're from the 60s, will remember her great claim to fame prophesying the execution of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. 
And, uh, but she was wrong over 90% of her prophecies. The Bible says, if you're going to be my prophet, you've got to be 100% accurate. It's written down. That's how we can tell the difference between true prophets and false prophets. It's amazing what people will believe. How many of you have ever heard of the Jehovah's Witnesses? I mean, they're everywhere. If you ever want an interesting study, study all the false prophecies of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, I will warn you about this. You'll do a whole lot better just studying the true prophecies that are in your Bible. Amen? Uh, You're not going to convince someone who believes in the Jehovah's Witness religion that it's wrong by just telling them all the wrong prophecies. You see, if you'll reject this, you'll believe anything. You even believe Sung Young Moon or Herbert W. Armstrong. Or some of the other, quote-unquote, prophets uh, of our age. The simple truth of the matter is, God gave some prophets. And those are some great preachers, I believe is the simplest way. I mean, there are just some preachers out there that have incredible gifts. Um... Brother...